Thank you, Christy. Of course, Ben is, and several of other of our adults are with the youth up in West Virginia skiing and having a great time. So let's continue to pray that God would bless them with uh, safety and with good weather. So, as many of you know, I'm a big fan of these little plastic bricks. I love Lego. And there's just something about snapping those things together and building something that's just soothing to me. But did you know that there are roughly 400 billion Lego pieces in the world? That's enough for 62 for every single human being on planet Earth. That's a lot of little plastic bricks, right? And did you know that if you take six, and I've got six of these little two-by-four bricks, kind of the rectangle-looking ones, uh, if you have just six of those, you can put them together in 915 million different combinations. Just six of these. That's pretty mind-boggling, isn't it? Did you know there are 2,350 different Lego elements in 52 different colors, which means that you can have a combination of 7,000 unique Lego elements. Pretty astounding. And so as I was thinking about wrapping up the sermon series, I thought about Lego, as many things often make me do. And I thought about how life, and and we are kind of like Lego bricks. We are each unique in our shapes, purposes, styles, colors, Height and all sorts of different things. And together, as the body of Christ, we can accomplish near infinite possibilities. I mean, what God can do through the church puts 915 million to shame. It is nearly limitless what God can do through us. And every single follower of Jesus Christ, though we are given the same kingdom work to carry out, right? To love God, to love people, to make disciples of Jesus... From all generations, we're all called to do those things. But God has gifted and shaped each and every one of us with unique ways to make those eternity, life-changing impacts on the people around us. Like Lego elements or like the pieces in a jigsaw puzzle, you and I are specifically shaped and placed by God so that we can give the world a complete model, a complete picture of Jesus Christ. And we as the body of Christ can carry out His mission on earth. Now, we've been using this acronym SHAPE to help us understand how and where God wants us to serve Him. We've discovered how God gifts us by His Holy Spirit with these manifestations of His grace. We call these spiritual gifts. We look into our hearts to discern the God-given passions and burdens and desires that motivate us and how we serve God and help others. We examine our natural abilities that God wove into the fabric of our being before we were even born, and the skills that He has helped us and enabled us to develop and learn. And last week we discovered how the unique strengths and inherent weaknesses of our personality can even be shaped by God to help us to view the world and interact with others in God-honoring ways. Today, we wrap it all up, looking at the final letter in our word shape, and that is experiences. Life, I think you'll agree with me, is full of seemingly infinite number of unique experiences. Amen? And life is full of all kinds of different experiences. And as Matt was saying earlier, some of them we love to remember, others we'd rather forget. Some we celebrate, and others we grieve. 2020 was truly a year of unique 
and unexpected experiences, wasn't it? And 2021 is shaping up to be a pretty good sequel to 2020. And so that's why last year I preached a series of sermons to try to help us make sense of and think about these, these difficult, unique, sometimes scary experiences that we were all going through together. If you remember in the summer, we looked at the life of Joseph and how he went from Jacob's favored son to the brother that the rest of the brothers were jealous against and they sold him to slavery in Egypt where he was unjustly accused and ended up in prison. But through all of that, God elevated him to become the second highest commander in all of Egypt. And then this past fall, we looked at the 23rd Psalm. And I want us to think for a moment about how our Good Shepherd guides us through all of life's experiences. First, He leads us to those mountaintop moments. Don't you love those mountaintop experiences? Those are the things we love to celebrate and recount. You may say, well, Dave, what's a mountaintop experience? It's a moment of inexplicable wonder and joy where you feel God's presence and hear God's voice in unique and powerful way. Maybe like me, you've had some mountaintop experiences. Maybe it's been in an especially moving worship service. Maybe it was through baptism or observing the Lord's Supper with your family. Maybe for you, you've had a mountaintop experience on a mission trip where you experienced God working through you to do something amazing. Or maybe it was when you led someone to faith in Christ. The birth of a child, a wedding. These can all be those mountaintop moments that we love so much. But life can't all be mountaintops, can it? No. And life can't all be mountaintops because if you have mountaintops, what do you have to have? Valleys. And valleys, are they all bad? No, valleys aren't all bad. Our good shepherd leads us from those mountaintop moments down into some of these valleys where there are green pastures and still waters. So we can be rested and refreshed and we can reflect on those mountaintop moments. And those are also times to help us prepare for the inevitable dark and difficult valleys that will come in our lives. But thanks be to God, even in those dark and difficult valleys, our good shepherd guides us and walks with us. David says in Psalm 23 that he won't fear evil in those dark valleys because the rod of God's protection and the staff of God's guidance are with him and they comfort him. And that even in the conflicts of life, God feeds us and equips us. He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. From the day we're born to the day we step through that final valley of the shadow of death and then into the Father's house forever, God is guiding us through life with a purpose. He's leading us somewhere. He has a destination in mind. Listen, as Christians, our life isn't just random happenstance. You're not just bopping along, uh, you know, like a, like a, a leaf on a river. God is taking your life somewhere. He has a story He's writing through you, and there's a point to it. It's not random. And so the main point of today's message, if you don't get anything else out of what I say today but this, it's simply this. God uses the experiences of your life to accomplish His purposes in you and through you. We're going to break that down here today. If we let Him, God will take the good, the bad, and the ugly, the things we celebrate, the things we regret, the things we mourn, He takes it all, and He helps us grow spiritually, and He prepares us 
to do the works that He has prepared in advance for us to do. Our key verse for today to help us understand this is Romans 8, 28. And if you want to turn in your Bibles to Romans 8, we will uh, be referring to this a few other times. Paul says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. The first thing we see in this verse is the scope of our experiences. And the scope of our experiences is all things. Paul says, in all things. Now, what does Paul mean by that? Well, he gives us some clues in the rest of this chapter. If you'll just kind of glance up at verses 18 through 27, you'll see words like sufferings, frustrations, the groanings of creation, weaknesses. At the end of the chapter, Paul picks up this idea again and talks about how nothing In all of life or creation can separate us from the love of God. And he says that we are more than conquerors through Jesus in all of life's troubles. And he includes there at the very end of the chapter both positive and negative elements. Life and death. Angels and demons. He says the present and the future. He talks about spiritual powers. He talks about height, width, and depth. really says everything in all creation. So Paul, when he says in all things... If you look at the whole chapter, he literally means in all things. And what that means is that it includes yours and mine dumb mistakes. Our faults and our failings, our bad decisions, our victories and our defeats, our education, our career choices, all the jobs we've ever worked, our relationships. And yes, it even includes things like divorce, cancer, failure. Bankruptcy. Even our moral failings and sins. God can take any mess we make and use it to accomplish His purpose for us. God doesn't let anything go to waste. Next, Paul tells us the working of our experiences. What does God do with all these things in our life? It says, in all things, God works. He works. God uses our experiences to continually shape us, whether we like those experiences or not. Now, that's not to say that God is the cause of everything that happens in our lives. We are not puppets or robots to be programmed, and God's will is not the same thing as the popular notion of fate. God is sovereign. Amen? He is supreme. And in His sovereignty, He created a world with cause and effect. He gave us the freedom to make choices and to either suffer the consequences or enjoy the rewards of those choices. But even when our experiences are brought on by our own actions or the actions of others or just the fact that we are living in a fallen world, God is always in control. Nothing comes into your life that it doesn't first pass through the nailed, scarred hands of Jesus. He lets nothing happen to you that doesn't pass under His gaze. Now we see this illustrated time and again in Scripture. Joseph, his life experiences were brought on by the evil intent and jealousy of his brothers. But God allowed it to happen. And God used it Not only to save Egypt, but to save Jacob, his family, the future nation of Israel. Remember our Old Testament reading, what Joseph said to his brothers. He said, you intended to harm me. That was their intent. That was their goal. 
But God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph is comparing the intention of his brothers to the intentions of God. And he's talking about the same experience from different perspectives. He acknowledges that while his brothers did this out of jealousy and hatred and they meant to cause him harm, God was at work behind the scenes, taking their evil intentions and working them for good. And not just the good for Egypt or the world, but even for the good of those wicked brothers. We see this principle strikingly in the life of Job. And the great thing about Job is we get to kind of peek behind the curtain and see the events of his life from the heavenly perspective. Satan is given permission to bring suffering into Job's life. Now, Satan's intent is to put Job to the test and to find things he can use to accuse Job of being a hypocrite. But God already knows how this is going to work out. God already knows the results. And he knows the results are actually not going to say anything about Job. They're going to say a lot about God's sovereignty and his grace and his mercy. And they will actually put Satan to shame. Though God allows Satan to bring enormous hardship into Job's life, God's hand is always on the thermostat. Satan can't do anything to Job that God doesn't allow. And finally, we see this principle at work even in Jesus and his death on the cross. What the Sadducees and the Pharisees conspired out of jealousy, kind of like Joseph's brothers, God predestined for the purpose of purchasing our redemption, truly the saving of many lives. Listen, Jesus was no victim. He was no victim of political intrigue or personal betrayal. He knowingly and willingly faced the events of that Good Friday, and he voluntarily laid down his life on the cross. Because from eternity past, God was at work in these events to accomplish his redemptive purpose. And listen, God does the same thing for us. He takes our experiences, the positive and the negative, the painful and the pleasurable, and he works in and through them. The Greek word that Paul uses here for work is the word synergeo, which is where we get the word synergy. This word means the interaction or the cooperation of two or more things to produce a combined effect that's greater than the sum of their separate efforts. Think about it. Just as God uses our personality and our gifts and our talents and abilities and all of this, just as He uses all that to shape us for service, just as God is able to take such a diverse group of people and put us together into the body of Christ, so God can take the seemingly unrelated and disparate events of our lives and work them together to accomplish more than we could ever ask or imagine. Rick Warren in The Purpose Driven Life explains it this way. He says, God never wastes a hurt. God can take the mess in your life and bring a message out of it. He can take the test in your life and create a testimony out of it. He can take a crisis and show Christ through it. He's exactly right. God does not want to waste anything that happens in your life. Not a single experience that you have. He wants to work them all together. But to what end? Well, that's the next part of Romans 8.28. In all things, 
God works together for the good. And here Paul tells us the benefit of our experiences. The Greek word translated good is agathon. And it has the sense of being useful, beneficial. It's it's a practical kind of good. God takes the events of our lives and He works them together to our benefit. He even takes the negative experiences of our lives and somehow makes them useful. You all probably know quite well Jeremiah 29, 11. It's a very popular verse. The Lord is telling the exiled Jewish people in Babylon, He says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God, through Jeremiah, is helping frame for the Israelites their experiences. They were suffering. They were experiencing injustice and persecution. They had been cut off from their land. And God says, look, I know you don't see how anything good can come out of this, but I have a plan. And it's not to harm you. It's a plan for your good. I'm doing something useful and beneficial through these experiences. Similarly, James is writing to Christians who have been persecuted and scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And he's talking to them the same thing about their suffering and the persecution and injustice that they're facing. And in that context, James writes this in James 1, 16 and 17. He says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Now, this is another verse we quote. You know, the God, that every good and perfect gift comes from above. We like to say that, but we don't understand the context that's being written in. James wants his readers to understand that even their suffering, even persecution, when entrusted to God, can become good gifts. Meaning that God can use these events for their benefit. How exactly does God do that? How does He use these varied experiences to our benefit? Well, He does it in two ways. First, God works these things in us. And He works them in us to, first of all, help us know Him more. Now, if you look back in Romans 8, I told you to keep that open there. Look at verse 17. Paul says, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. Now, Paul illustrates what he means by that by looking at his own life in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7-11, through 11, where Paul says, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of what? Knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost All things. He says, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. Becoming like Him in His death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Boy, we love that part about knowing Jesus and the power of His resurrection. We like that. But the fellowship of His suffering? Becoming like Him in His death? We kind of want to avoid those things. 
But Paul says that there's a unique fellowship with Jesus that comes through our suffering, through our loss, through persecution. I say even through enduring temptation. When we make a sacrifice for the sake of someone else, we come to know Jesus a little bit better. Even when we're broken over our sin and we come in humble confession and repentance and experience anew the grace of God, we come to know Jesus a little bit better. Obviously, when we obey God and follow His commands, when we take up our cross of self-sacrificial service, when we engage with someone in a gospel conversation, when we serve through the church, we come to know Jesus a little bit better. Jesus Himself promised that in John 14, 21, where He said, Whoever has My commands and keeps them is the one who loves Me. And the one who loves Me will be loved by My Father, and I too will love them and show Myself to them. You want to see Jesus? You want to know Jesus more? Serve Him. Obey Him. God's purpose for you is that you would know Christ more. And He works all the elements of your life together to help you do just that. But secondly, He works these things in us to shape us into Christ's character. If you look back at Romans chapter 8... If you follow on from verse 28 to verse 29, Paul says, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to what? To be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. God's express purpose from eternity past is to conform you to the image of Jesus. He has chosen you in Christ so that He can justify you and glorify you. That's what Paul says. James talks about this in James 1 again. James 1 verses 2 through 4. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance... Finish its work. Don't rush it. Don't try to hurry and get over it and move on. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Maybe you've heard the expression that says we can either let difficulties and tragedies make us bitter or make us better. You ever heard that? It's kind of what James is saying. How do we do that? How can we consider trials and testings Pure joy. We do it when we learn to see them through the eyes of God. When we realize that by God's grace, what they can produce in us, they can strengthen our faith. They can teach us to persevere. They can mature us spiritually and help us become complete in Christ. That's pretty amazing stuff. And James and Paul and Jesus have all said... That is God's purpose for you. That is what He wants to do through the different experiences of your life. So when we, in the hands of our Creator, our Savior, and our Sustainer, when we take those events and those circumstances of our life and we give it to Him, He will craft them together by His Spirit to shape within us the fruit of the Spirit. To shape within us the very character qualities of Jesus. These are the good works that God accomplishes in us 
through our life's experiences if we let Him. But God isn't just interested in shaping us into better people. He doesn't want to just work these things in us. He wants to work them through us, first of all, to prepare us for service. He wants to prepare us for service. Listen, no spiritual discipline, no spiritual growth, no mountaintop experience. God never intends any of that just to be for our benefit only. It's always to prepare us to face outward in service. Paul says in Ephesians 2.10 that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And he says God has prepared those works for us in advance. He's prepared the works for us and he prepares us for the works. Which is what he says in Philippians 2.13. Because God is working in us to will and to act for his good purposes. So think about that. Whenever you or I do something good, maybe you're teaching a Sunday school class and somebody says, Wow, you just really spoke to me. God really convicted me or I'd never thought about that that way. Thank you so much. If you're helping someone and counseling someone through grief or they're having a tough time in their marriage, you lead someone to faith in Christ. You stand up here and you sing a beautiful song that moves people's hearts and minds. Guess what? That's not you. That's God working through you. Because you can do those very same things. You can be a gifted speaker and there are gifted speakers who stand in pulpits every Sunday. You can be a gifted singer You can be gifted in so many different ways. But if you get up and you do it in your strength and power, and you do it in your wisdom, it will fall flat. It will be powerless without God doing it through you. God is preparing you through your life's experiences to be used by Him to do good works. And again, I think about Joseph. I think about God using terrible circumstances in his life to put him in the right place at the right time and to mature, equip, and prepare him for the monumental task of preparing Egypt to survive a seven-year famine. But listen, it's not just the negative things that God can use. That's kind of where we we go with this stuff, right? We, We think about the negative things, the bad stuff that happens, but even the good experiences of our lives. Listen, God can use the experiences of your life to give you a unique opening to share the gospel with people. I know several preachers who love to ride motorcycles. Can you imagine me on a motorcycle? <laughs> I can't. That Marcus will be preaching next week. He was up in uh, South Dakota this past year at that big motorcycle rally. Went up there to share the gospel. They used those experiences, that interest and love for motorcycles to connect with other people and have a unique opportunity, an opportunity I would never have to share Christ with them. And this can be true for anybody who's athletic or artistic or a craftsman or a Lego fan. You name it, God could use your experiences and your interests to give you a unique in with someone who needs to hear about Jesus. In our own church, we have men that are part of the Fishers of Men ministry. And they go to these fishing tournaments so that they can have a hook. Sorry for the pun. For these fishermen to tell them about Jesus. To reel them in. I'm sorry. And share Christ with them. What about you? What are your interests? What are your life experiences? What might God use in your life to give you a unique perspective and opening 
to share the gospel with somebody. You know, we've already talked about the skills that we can develop through education, through our hobbies, through our work. How might God be using your skill development and your education to prepare you for service? But of course, like I said, when we think about this, we often think about the painful experiences of life. And certainly God does specialize in taking those stripes, those wounds, and bringing healing. And so God also works through us to equip us to help the hurting. Our New Testament passage this morning was about that, where Paul says in 1, 2 Corinthians 1, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, He comforts us in all our troubles. Why? Not just so we will feel better, but so that we can comfort those in any trouble with that comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comforts abound through Christ. I don't know if he was a Christian, but Lewis Braille's life is an example of how God can work all things together for the good and comfort of others. If you go to the French Academy of Science, there's an old, plain-looking shoemaker's awl on display there. And you might think that's a rather unextraordinary thing in a science academy, but as an extraordinary story, even though it caused one young boy tremendous pain. That very all, when they fell from the shoemaker's table and landed in his son's eye, and it led to an infection that caused him to lose sight in both of his eyes. That young man was Louis Braille. And of course, you know that later in life he came to invent a new way for blind people to be able to read and to write using a system of dots that are translated into the letters of the alphabet, things that could be felt on a piece of paper or, you know, any flat surface. And it was that old shoemaker's all that caused his blindness that inspired him to make those little punches in paper so that blind people could read. God taking the instrument of his pain and suffering and using it to help other people. Now, Joni Erickson Tata is a devout follower of Jesus Christ and a, and a wonderful artist and author and speaker. She's a quadriplegic who has been confined to a wheelchair for more than 40 years. She shared her response to her situation. When people ask her, why does God allow suffering? She says, God allows what He hates to accomplish what He loves. Listen, God hates death. God hates sickness and suffering. That was not a part of the world as God created it. God hates those things, but He allows them to accomplish what He loves. And what does God love? God loves for people to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. God loves to take the experiences of our life, the good, the bad, the sad, the happy, and to work in us the character of Christ. And He loves to work through us so we can impact the lives of others just as He's done with Joni, using her story about a tragic car accident that confined her to a wheelchair to encourage and uplift others and to share the gospel with countless people. What painful experiences in your life might God use to encourage, to comfort, to guide others who are going through the same or similar experiences? Listen, don't let that painful event in your life go to waste. Don't lock away the hurt and shame and let it sour in your soul. 
Bring it out into the daylight of God's grace and power and allow Him to transform it. Give it to Him and see what good He can do with it. Listen, we've had people in our church in the past who have struggled with drugs and alcohol that God has used to lead a drug and alcohol recovery group and minister to others. He's used people who have experienced enormous grief to lead a grief share class to help others. He's used people who have gone through the painful events of a divorce to lead a, a divorce recovery or a divorce recovery for kids class help people through those same things. He's used people that have maybe gone into bankruptcy or had enormous debt, but he's helped them to get a grasp of their money and they've led Dave Ramsey financial peace classes. Listen, right now we don't have anybody to lead most of those groups. Those are classes and groups we've had in the past we don't have right now. Maybe you're sitting out here today. You've got those experiences. And maybe God is wanting to use you to help restart one of these ministries or to start something new, to reach out to people in this community who are hurting and to share with them the hope of Jesus Christ. In your pew is the assessment that goes with today's sermon. It gives three broad categories for our experiences. Like I said, you know, 915 million is nothing compared to the variety of experiences we have in our lives, but to help you think about how God might use you to serve in the church, we've given you three broad categories. Your work experiences, your life experiences, good and bad, and your ministry experiences. Many of you have already served in the church. So you've got experiences or you've been ministered to in the church. And you think that was an experience that really helped shape me into who I am today. I want to encourage you to fill that out and then use that to, again, complete that shape profile and get it into us. But before we wrap up, there's one more part of this verse that we left off that we haven't looked at. Notice that God doesn't work the events of life for the good of everybody. It's for specific people. God works His good for those who love Him and have been called according to His purposes. In order to receive the blessings of this promise, you have to belong to God. You have to submit your life to Him, all of your life, all of your experiences to Him. Listen, God loves everybody. God loves you. But He cannot help and use somebody who keeps their life back from Him, who refuses to surrender their life and experiences for His purposes. So I invite you today to bring your life, along with your hurts, your habits, and your hang-ups, your victories and your failures, your sin and your shame, Give them to Jesus. Will you give them to Jesus today? Will you trust your life, all of it, warts and all, into His hands? And let Him transform your life from the inside out and make something infinitely more beautiful than you could ever do on your own. To the rest of us here who do know Jesus, we still have a choice to make every day. We have to choose how we look at the difficult experiences of our life. We can look at it like Jacob, Joseph's dad. He thought he had lost his son years before. His brothers have gone to Egypt. Joseph is kind of putting them through some tests, so he's kept one of the brothers back, and, and they feel like they can't return, and they come back and tell, tell Jacob this. And Jacob's response is, everything's against me. It's a direct quote right from Genesis. He says, everything's against me. You ever feel that way? <laughs> like the universe is against you? 
We can choose to look at the difficulties of life that way or we can believe what Paul says and believe that God is working all things for you. Not against you, but for you. The choice is yours. God has a plan for you. He wants to use all the events and experiences and circumstances of your life to shape you into the image of Christ, to help you know Him more, to help you reflect Him more. He wants to use these things to prepare you for service and especially to comfort and help others who are hurting as well. But the question is, will you let Him? Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for the gift of life. And life has its ups and its downs, its ins and its outs, its highs and its lows. You never promised us anything but that. Jesus, you even said in this world we would have trouble. Life is a gift. And sometimes, Lord, we become so obsessed with avoiding the difficulties that we miss out on so many of the blessings you have in store for us. So I pray, God, you would help us to surrender our lives to you today. All of our lives, all of our experiences, even the things we regret, even the things we're ashamed of, even the things that we wish we could forget. Help us to release them to you, Lord, and experience your freedom, your peace, your forgiveness. God, that we would no longer shrink back in shame, but we'd be able to stand boldly before your throne of grace. And help us to look at the ways in which you are using these things to form the character of Christ in us and to equip us to serving your kingdom. And may we be willing to step out in faith and say, Here am I, Lord. Send me. God, if there's anybody here today that needs to come to you for the first time, they need to surrender and entrust their lives to you and allow you to forgive them of their sins and give them a fresh start and take their lives and transform them into your son or your daughter. God, I pray they would come today and do that. If anybody here needs to unite with this church family, I pray they would come. And Lord, as this altar is open, I pray folks will come and will pray and submit their lives to you. It's in Jesus' name we ask all this. Amen.